right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320-KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Just a few more days away from the Final Four. Kansas taking on Villanova. You, of course, can hear it right here on FM 1017-1320-KLWN on Saturday and your NCAA tournament coverage here brought to you by Cycle Zone Power Sports, big city selection and small town service on bikes, off-road vehicles and watercrafts. They're located off Highway 24 in Topeka. They have all sorts of exciting inventory that you can check out. You know you've been wanting to make that fun purchase. It's been boring sitting inside for the past couple of years with COVID. We'll get out there, get on the outdoors in the spring and summer ahead. Cycle Zone Power Sports located off Highway 24 in Topeka. RCST NCAA tournament coverage also presented by Panky Foundation Repair. You might walk around your house and, you know, you're outside in the garage or uh, you're out on the patio and you see maybe some cracks in the cement. Well, get your foundation checked out um, and they'll do it for free at Panky Foundation Repair. If you have a strong foundation, that's great for your house. So at the very least, why not get it inspected for free? And if you do have to do anything else that costs money, you can get 10% off if you call Panky Foundation Repair and mention you heard it on Rock Chalk Sports Talk at 785-505-0577. Um, we haven't totally discussed this, and I, I don't really know how much time I want to spend on this, maybe more than I, I think, but... I think sometimes in sports radio and just in, in sports conversations as Derek, a whole. Derek, I told you nobody wants to talk about your new shoes. All right, on, on the, to the next topic. All right. Um, I think sometimes we get too inundated with, like, the legacy talk. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have no problem with the legacy talk, especially in the situation when a guy is, like, retired and it's a, you know, where, where does this guy sit at the end of the day? It's a lot harder to do when a guy's still currently playing or coaching or whatever. Um. But it's hard not to see this Final Four, what's ahead for Kansas. And we talked briefly about it yesterday. It was more so in in vain of Bill Self talking about what this would mean for the university. But what, I still love the quote from him. Yes. He, but, just, he didn't back down from the challenge. He was honest. And I love that quote. And what this Final Four could mean for his legacy. Now, I don't think it's a situation of the worst type of legacy talk, and I don't want to do this, and, and I'm not saying we would anyway, um, is... Oh, if he loses this game, he's a choker. If he loses this game, yeah, yeah, every, yeah. that's the dumbest, worst type that you can do. And that's not where I'm going to go with this because that would not clearly be the case. Anyway, even if they lose, he's still a phenomenal coach. He just happened to fall short this year in the Final Four, right? Um, Put it this way, Roy Williams had four Final Fours never at KU, never won a title, and people were crying when he left. Yes. So you could clearly still be an outstanding coach and have four Final Fours and just one national title. It's so freaking hard to win a title in college basketball. I mean, it's to six, this point, this who, is the fourth for Bill Self. How many have multiple? 16? Not active ones, I'm saying. Yeah, I think of active guys. It's active, it, well, if... K, Patino. K, Patino, and um, uh, Jay, Jay Wright. Wright. Yeah, it's it's that. that's how short of a list Next it year, it'll be Patino and Jay Wright. 
unless Bill gets one, gets a second right. this year. Yeah. Um, but even if we just look at Final Fours made, because this is the fourth for Bill Self. You mentioned four for Roy Williams. So he's part of uh, this this mark. This isn't active coaches. This is all-time coaches of the history of college basketball. So you're talking decades and decades of college basketball. Only 22 coaches in the history of college basketball have made four or more Final Fours. Bill Self has entered that era. He passed Fog Allen, who had three, which is different because... You know, you didn't have the NCAA tournament every year, but also it was some years with less teams easier to make yeah. the Final Four, so maybe that stuff balances out. But I guess... I would say this. the big I would be interested in how short's the list of guys who made four Final Fours in the 64-team era. Because there's two sides to that. One is it's hard, it's easier to make the Final Four once you get there because you, know, you went, need to win fewer games if you're in the 32-team era or um, the 16-team era. However, you could also argue in some ways it's easier to make the tournament now than it was back then because they actually cared. Like UCLA, for example, during their run of dominance, mm-hmm. the second best team in the country was often USC. And they couldn't make the and tournament. They couldn't make the tournament. And so, you know. I have the list in front of me. Go for it. Okay, so Coach K has, uh, again, the, the parameters here are, have you made four Final Fours from 1985 on, right? No, that's when the 64 era began. Yeah, Coach K's made 13. All of them have come 1986 or later. Yep. John Wooden never made one his last 1975. That was his last season of coaching. He won the title. Uh, Dean Smith made it in 91, 93, 95, 97. So he would have had four. Um, Roy Williams made all nine of his yep, in this um, after 85. Tom Izzo's made eight after 85. Um, Denny Crum has six, but only one of them came after 1985. Bayheim, so I think, would have he four qualify. in this era. So we have Kay, Smith, Roy, Izzo. Obviously, Adolph Rupp wouldn't qualify. Yeah, Bayheim, 96, 03, 2013, 2016. So he's the fifth. Bobby Knight made 87 and 92. His other three Final Fours were before then, so he yep. wouldn't qualify. Uh, Guy Lewis, all before then, with Houston. Um, Lute Olsen. Made he four, would. yeah, he 88, would. 94, 97, 01. Uh, Rick Pitino has made five. All of them came after yep. 85, so he's seven. Jim Calhoun, 99, 04, 09, 11. Yep. So that's eight. John Calipari has made it um, lots of times. That's nine. Yeah, he has six total, but two vacated, so it's, it's well, weird looking at this. Did, okay, Nonetheless, well. all of them are, are there, so we're at nine coaches. Billy Donovan makes it ten. Um, let's see, Jack Gardner, Henry Wait, when, Iba. Oh, he made it in like 2000, didn't he? 2000, 2006, 2007, 2014. I forgot about the one in 2000. So that's 10. Henry Iba, Henry, Harold Olsen have not. Way before. Uh, Jerry Tarkanian made three, so he just missed it. He made four total, but one in 77. Um, Fred Taylor, Jay Wright would make 11. Yep. And Bill Self would make 12. So 12 coaches have made four Final Fours since the expansion to 64 Um 64 teams in the tournament, which was 1985. Now, look, a lot of those coaches, Adolph Rupp was a great coach. Right, and, like he and probably would have made it. You could only play within the parameters of the time you're playing. So, I, you know, that doesn't, that's not a knock on those guys. It's just, it, it adds to what rarefied air Bill Self is in. Um, no, but, I mean, if you think about it like this. So, from 1985 till now, you have 37 seasons of college basketball, give or take. Um I don't know how many teams were in college basketball in 1990 versus there are now. Like right now, there's 358. I I don't know. In in 1995, there might have been 200. Whatever. 
let's just give or take, let's say there was, you know, over the course of those 37 years, let's say it was even 200 schools on average each year, which that is is probably very much underselling it. At that point, you're looking at um, 5,400 basically possible teams that can make the Final Four, or 54, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've only had 12 coaches who have made it. Pretty impressive. I get it. You have some coaches who repeat certain years. Yeah, but. yeah, and then some that you know there were there were mid majors mm-hmm. and things. But the point is, it, when you're on a list of of a level of achievement that is only twelve people long, that's really good. Yeah, like that's another way of putting it. How many coaches have coached from 1985 till now, and only twelve of them have made four Final Fours? It's it's pretty incredible stuff. But I, I guess back to the legacy stuff. How much would a I guess we'll take this in two parts. How much would a win over Villanova impact the way we look at things, both from the legacy and in terms of the, you know, whenever we have these lists of who's the best coach in college basketball, both in terms of that and how would a title impact things? I, we'll, we'll start with the Villanova thing. I think the Villanova thing would be big for just the Jay Wright versus Bill Self thing because right now— Don't you think a lot of people right now, if you were to ask— a lot of national people, who is the best coach in college basketball, a lot of them would answer Jay Wright. I think they would go... Like, outside of Coach K, just yeah, for the legacy I think stuff, they would, right? I think a lot of people, and rightly so, would put Jay mm-hmm. Wright above Bill Self. Uh, it's kind of Do, interesting. Would this change that? I, I think so. Even if he doesn't win the title. Because you would be able to say, okay, well, they're, they're what, 2-2 two and two against each other in the, uh, in the tournament. tournament. You could say, well, yeah, but the one of those Bill Self wins came when they were a 12 seed, but then the answer to that is, okay, but Bill Self has never been below a 4 seed, right. so he's never he's never had to play anybody as a 12 seed. Um, and then you would have uh, the, you know, the, 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 one of the wins at least being when both teams are high, high level, but I think a lot of people are saying, you know, Bill Self has a great record against other top coaches. He never lost to Roy. I think he has winning record or a 500 record against K. He's damn close to 500 against Calipari if he's not at it. Um, but Jay Wright has been the one, uh, you know, kind of great, high-level, clear future Hall of Fame coach that has kind of passed, you know, Bill in terms of the head-to-head matchups, and you know. Those two of you know both of Jay Wright's wins came on high leverage situations when both teams were great. Um, one in the Elite Eight is a two over a one, and the other. Yeah, in if you want to add in regular season, there's you know it's I think it's pretty split there. Okay, you won an Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, Villanova beat that really good 2020 Kansas team in Philadelphia in a game Kansas probably should have won. Yeah, I don't remember up. if Jay Wright was the coach back when they played in like in 05. 05. Yeah, um, I can't remember, but. I, Point being, he. I think right now you would, um, the argument if you wanted to make Jay Wright versus Bill Self and argue in favor of Jay Wright, you would have the head-to-head matchups. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you wanted to argue in favor of Bill Self, you could say, okay, you're right, head-to-head. That he, you know, he's behind him. However, his consistency is is incredible. Jay Wright, you know, Jay Wright's low seasons have been much lower than Bill Self's low seasons. Is the argument you would have for Self? If Bill, if Bill Self can get a win over Jay Wright in this tournament, and then I think the other side of that is you really, really start thinking it's it's Jay Wright because not only would he have beaten him a third time in a high-leverage game, he would have beaten him 
shorthanded. Yeah, I think I think this individual game would do more for Jay Wright than it would Bill Self. Um, I think if if KU can find a way to win a title, though, that's when we would be starting to have more conversations about Bill Self. I mean, these are the conversations that would come up if KU wins the title, if we're looking at Bill Self. Greatest coach in Kansas basketball history, which he might already be. He already is, but you're right. But it's it's at I, that I point it's, it's a slam dunk, I think, right? I think there's the debate goes away completely if he wins a second. Um, best coach currently in college basketball. Yep. Coach K would be retiring. retiring. At that point, you'd be one of, again, just three active coaches with two titles, and you would have just beaten one of the other guys with two, and then the other guys at Iona. So, yeah. you know. Um, which I'm still, still surprised no, you know, fumbling program hasn't picked him up to kickstart him yet as an adrenaline shot. But. Well, and then you just enter in general. Once you hit that second title, that feels like that is when you enter rarefied air, right? Twelve. I think multiple is 12 or 16 coaches that have multiple titles. Yeah, it's very small. Um, I'll tell you another conversation that maybe begins, at least starts creeping into the periphery, is not is Bill Self the best ever, but can he get there? I think if he wins a second this year and he's got two by age 58 when so much of Roy and Kay and Calhoun's um, success came in their 60s, the, it's not is self, if, if self wins this year, the discussion is not is self the best ever, but it will start being could he become the best ever. Um, and another reason this is a big one is is you talk— It's 14 deep, by the way. We've talked a lot, and so if he wins this year, it'll be 15. It'll be 15, yeah. So we've talked a lot about— um, you know, at what point are things going to start breaking the other way that, you know, um, this record and that record in the Elite Eight? Well, if he's right now 2-0 and in his last two, and the, the, the larger sample size at KU has him 4-5 and five, um, overall, but he's 2-0 and in his last two. Mm-hmm. And now you could also say he's, what, 2-5 and five in his last seven. So, you know, take it a little further. But my point is, um, you know, he has a lot of the criticisms. Now, any criticism um, that somebody has of Bill Self is an uptown problem. Um, so, but any criticism that that somebody might have of Bill Self, any shortcoming that he might have as an otherwise great coach, really starts to go away completely if he wins Saturday, and then especially if he wins Monday. Yeah, and at that point, you'd be looking at both of his titles. Uh, the final fours that he were part of would be insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah, the two one seeds and the and, and the, the Blue Bloods. Uh, we're going to take a time out here. Uh, we've got a, another loaded show with guests. Jesse Newell is going to join the show in about 20 minutes from right now from the Kansas City Star. Uh, we're also going to be joined for our KU Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. Joel Clement from the KU Jiu-Jitsu Club will join us in the 4 o'clock hour. And then Greg Gurley is going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Reminder, there's going to be some awesome watch parties for the KU Villanova game this Saturday. Abe and Jakes is going to be hosting one. 
Their doors open at noon. Cover $5 after 2 p.m. You can reserve a table at Abe and Jake's uh, by giving them a call or emailing Kylie at abeandjakes.com. They're going to have JB's Tacos there, multiple bar service areas. Uh, they also have watch parties at Lucia, where their doors open at noon. Cover charge at $5 starts at 2 p.m. You can reserve tables there by DMing or messaging Lucia online. Um, they're going to have Lucia pop-up game day window food available and then Rick's place nearby uh, Mass Street over on 9th Street they're going to have just first come first serve their doors open at noon they're going to have gold medal barbecue catering to them we're going to be over at the Granada and the Granada is going to have two different watch parties there they're going to have one outside which is going to be on the huge jumbotron with like the concert PA outside they're going to have Mr. Bacon barbecue as their food vendor it's free to go to the outdoor one till 4 p.m. Doors open at noon for the outdoor. For the indoor, doors open at 2. Cover charge of $5. You can reserve tables. Email Mary, that's M-A-R-Y, at thegranada.com. They're going to have huge projection screens, concert sound system. Again, Mr. Bacon Barbecue will be uh, there for the Granada. And um, the 105.9 KISS crew, our sister station, they're going to be out there from 1.30 to 3.30. We're going to be out there, me and Adam, doing a live show, basically a pre-pregame show before the Crimson and Blue show takes over at 3.30. We'll be doing that extra hour of pregame from 2.30 to to 3.30. So come by. We're going to have stuff to give away. I haven't totally gotten a list of everything we're going to give away. I'd imagine tick or not, uh, I'd imagine t-shirts and you know some other cool stuff. I have heard a rumor of something we could be giving away, but I don't want to say it yet because in case it doesn't happen, but it would be very, very cool if we are able to give this stuff away. Um, so cool stuff, which brings us to our daily poll for today, which kind of goes in line with this. I think it's just kind of cool to get to uh, get kind of a pulse on what people are planning to do for the game. Um, where will you be watching the game for the Kansas Villanova game? I, I want to add real quick. There's tons of great options. Abe and Jake's is obviously a great place. And also the Granada. I, I always encourage, even if you're not going to watch at the Granada, which it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun place to do it. Um, I wasn't there for, for the, um, I, wa- I watched the 08 title game at a friend's house. But if you if you check YouTube, you can get and I don't know what their setup would be like this year, but you can get a sense of what their setup is like if you go to YouTube and you just ch- uh, search Chalmers shot Granada Lawrence, and I showed Derek the video, um, and it's just the, the it's the reaction of every it's it's you know Chalmers hitting the shot and everybody who's watching at the Granada going nuts, um, and so you can get an idea of what a fun atmosphere it is. Um, so yeah, that's that's a that's a great one, and you know, and if knock on wood, if if uh, if the win happens, you'll be right there on Mass Street. You won't have to go far to uh, to get your celebration on. By the way, our update from our poll yesterday: if you were having your bridal shower this weekend, you would be blank if one of your bridesmaids didn't make it because they were in New Orleans for the Final Four. Eighty-six percent were okay with it. Fourteen percent were not okay with it. Again, not surprising knowing our audience on here. I would imagine if, you know, I don't know, if like Forbes magazine or something tweeted that out, probably a little bit different of what the poll poll results were. We also didn't talk about our poll result from uh, Monday. What was the biggest turning point play for KU basketball in the Elite Eight? Um, Christian Brown hitting KU's first three actually edged out the David McCormick and won 39-36. The KJ stop before half was 24%. One person voted other, maybe two. The KJ stop actually was getting, early on, was getting a lot more votes. 
and then the Brown three and the Dave and one started pulling away from that. But early on, it was a three-horse race. Did we get any answers from the people who said other what it might have been? No. That's I would love to know. That's Yeah, in the future, if, if you ever vote other, feel free to, to tweet us and say what your thought on the matter is. Yeah, that's at RCST1320, and you can vote on this latest poll. I would imagine the, the vote there, if you did pick other, was... Would it have been the Ochai's Ochai's corner three after see, they kind of lost control and Jalen popped it back Tapped to it out. I don't view that as the turning. Like, if you want to say that was the, the sealer. Like dagger, yeah, yeah, the seal to the game. I get that. I think the dagger for me, for was, me was the Remy one. Yeah, the Remy yeah. straightaway three. But I don't view that one as the turning point because you were already up, what, six at that point? Seven or something like that? But Actually, either way, that, more. that yeah. was... Um, Regardless, they were all huge, huge threes, and it was a great, great turnaround. And and to keep the thing that really impressed me the most was like it still would have been very exciting, and K, no matter how what score KU won by, but to get that lead and to keep your pedal or your 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 foot to the pedal, your foot on the throat, whatever you want to call it, um, that's huge to me because I think it could have been one of those where Kansas gets up twelve, Miami gets a little fire in them hits a couple shots, and all of a sudden they're scaring KU because Miami's back within four after KU's, you know, big run. And then KU ultimately wins by six or eight points. That still would have been great because we'd still be talking about a Kansas Final Four. Um, but it just, it they showed an ability to just run away with it, um, which they had not done all tournament. Granted, they were, you know, playing a lot of really good, really good teams. But to outscore in the Elite Eight, uh, granted, of course, it was a 10 seed. Um but to outscore the second half of your Elite Eight game, you outscore the opponent more than you outscored your 16 seed in the first half of that of that game is pretty incredible. Yeah, it really is. And now KU enters into the Final Four. You know, it, it, it's kind of interesting that I'm not saying that Kansas is like the underdog or anything like that. And, you know, it it's always amazing when you have certain sports teams who, like Duke did this when they... I think beat Arkansas. I saw Paulo Bancaro on, uh, I think it was like Instagram or Twitter or something, put out a message where it was like, they all doubted us or, or whatever. Oh, that, was after we their second, that was after their second round win. That was that, okay. After, yeah, after they beat us seven seeds. Like, come on. Um, Kansas, we saw, I, I think Christian Brown do it after they won the Big 12. You know, they're Big 12 favorites. I remember Big 12 tournament. Um, Kansas, they used the uh, the team that, that finished off the 14 straight. Um, they used the nobody thought we'd be here because that particular year they weren't unanimous preseason favorites to win the big. Yeah. They were still they were still preseason number one in the Big Twelve, but they weren't unanimous. And so they that was the that was the you know I think on the coaches because you can't vote for your for your own team. So for the longest time in that streak, KU was voted by nine coaches or 11 coaches back when there were 12 teams in the Big 12. And then one, of course, being Bill Self because he can't vote for his own team, voted for somebody else. But in this year, it may have been like seven coaches voted for Kansas and three voted for somebody else. But they tried to use the nobody thought we'd do it. And like a lot of people thought you did. Yeah. I So anyway, that that's going to happen regardless. Like whoever wins the title. And, and you know, I, I honestly, even though I make fun of it sometimes, I honestly can't really blame the athletes because when you're playing at that high of a level, 
You're going to find any chip on the shoulder yeah, you can. You have, I mean, Michael Jordan, we you know, we celebrated. We can't go too far making fun of because we celebrate Michael Jordan, who was already the greatest player ever, and then allegedly got a chip on his shoulder because a guy said, nice game, Mike. <laughs> and then you find out that didn't even happen. He made the whole thing mm-hmm. up. So real quick, um, sorry to go off subject, but um, we might be seeing the greatest free agent, the most uh, effective free agent signing in the history of Major League Baseball. A day or two after the Cardinals bring back Albert Pujols, the Cardinals are currently the nat- leading the Nationals in their spring training game at the bottom of the eighth, 28-8. to eight. Woo! <laughs> Normally I wouldn't bring up a spring training game, especially if it wasn't the Royals, but that felt like a, 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 a score worth sharing. Pujols um, one of three, by the way. Okay, there we go. Um, I, I I think it is interesting though. Like to that point, it's not often that you do get to in in Kansas's behalf here. Be the only one seed left in the tournament. You're the only one seed in the final four. Um, yet you are far from the talk of the final four. Again, if you go on like you know look at metric sites, I don't, I don't know if they would be favored over Duke or not in Vegas. I think. Uh, it'd be close. A lot but, of the computers I'm seeing really, really like KU. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're probably the betting favorite and everything. But again, it's it's not often that you're the only one seed alive at this point, and you are not at all really being talked about. I watched Sports Center for about an hour and a half yesterday. I'm sure a lot of people were in this boat. I saw, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes or so devoted to Duke, North Carolina. I didn't see a single minute devoted to Kansas and well, Villanova. Of course, the rest was devoted to... Just whatever else is going on. Um, how does Aaron Rodgers compare to Patrick Mahomes yeah. and Tom Brady? Because yeah. that's all ESPN ever talks about. Well, anymore. I was watching like Sports Center at night, so it was like oh, you know, the helped. news yeah. size, right? Um, so again, doesn't mean they're the underdog, but to a certain sense, it does allow you to play with that yeah. extra chip like, on hey, your no shoulder. Hey, talking about us. Yeah, and, and it, it is kind of similar to 2008 in that way. Like That is different because I guess technically Kansas was the fourth one seed, but realistically, you're a one seed. You're one of the best teams in yeah. the country. You don't technically get to play with a chip on your shoulder, but the fact that you know everybody's talking about all these other one seeds that are there kind of allowed you to, and yeah, that's kind of the same Burrow way here. Story. Yeah, Kansas is the highest seed here, but... You know, you're playing a Villanova team who has had your number yep. in the NCAA tournament. If you win that, you're probably playing a Duke team, which is going to get all the talk with Coach K. You get to play kind of that chip-on-your-shoulder card. I agree. Yeah, and, and you know, it, and whatever helps, do it, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I, you know I, I, we might sit here and say, well, wait a minute, who's? but it, if it helps you, you know, cut down nets and put up trophies and banners, do it. Yeah. Yeah, do whatever you can, and uh, having any extra ounce of motivation or help on your side is a positive for Kansas, and I think they do have that this weekend in New Orleans. All right, we're going to be joined by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. He's going to join us in a few minutes from right now. We're going to talk KU hoops with Jesse. We also will get to our interview with Joel Clement. Our KU Club interview is brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence, the KU Jiu-Jitsu Club in the middle of the 4 o'clock hour, and then Greg Gurley, the color analyst, for uh, KU Basketball and the Jayhawk Radio Network will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We also have some Mitch Lightfoot audio to share with you later on in today's show. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN and KLWN.com. Jesse Newell, next. Joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. So KU taking on Villanova on Saturday. You can hear it here on KLWN 
And Osha Baji is coming off of a strong performance in the Elite Eight. Eight of 12 shooting. He goes for 18 points, 12 of them in the second half in the Elite Eight against Miami. Um, we talked last week about Ochai's re- recent shooting woes. And, you know, if, if playing tight or playing in these big moments for someone who just cares so much it was maybe one of the reasons why you saw that in the last week of the regular season and you had seen it up to that point. Um, and then even through the Providence game of last week in the NCAA tournament. Is that enough, the the one game against Miami? Is that enough for you to, I don't know, think that things could change for KU and, and Ochai headed into the Final Four this week? Or is that still kind of a big concern? Well, it's encouraging. <laughs> you know, that was sort of the best half that he's played in this tournament if you're ruling out the uh, Texas Southern game where basically everybody played well. But, yeah, I mean, I think that second half is where you saw a lot of guys for KU play the most free they play this entire tournament. And even the first 20 minutes against Miami, you know, Christian Brown turning down shots, so Chayabaji still not looking like himself. Um, Dave McCormick didn't have a great first half. I mean, all these returners just kind of were, were plodding along at the normal pace that you kind of saw against Creighton and Providence, even when KU had been able to win those games. But the second half, as the Bill Self expression goes, you know, the lid came off and everybody started playing better. Everybody started playing with confidence. You you could see some direct stuff, you know, like David made his first shot and then he shot his next one and it was good. And then he had an and one and uh, started roaring to the crowd. And, you know, KU got a run out, excuse me, and Christian Brown was able to get a dunk. Very next possession. He turned down every three-point shot he saw in the first half Next possession, he fires up in front of Bill Self from NBA three-point range and makes it, you know. So it really has been this whole tournament kind of uh, a confidence thing. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it's, it's a who's going to shoot? Are they going to shoot? Do they feel comfortable shooting? Uh, is this moment too big? And, again, KU's one of those four teams in the Final Four, so everything's turned out for them. But, yeah, can Ochai Abaji bottle some of that up and, and continue it on against Villanova? I hope so for his sake because, you know, he has carried Kansas this year. He has been a really good player for them, and he represents so much of what's been good about this program over time, how he's developed and turned himself from kind of a no-name recruit into one of the best players in the, in the country. So you would think there would be probably a little bit less of that against Illinois since KU has made the Final Four, and part of the legacy now is secure. But to say that there's no pressure on these guys would be incorrect too. So um, I go back to the old baseball cliche, you know, Momentum only is as good as your next day starting pitcher, and I guess KU's momentum right now is only so good until we see how they perform the first four minutes against Villanova because, as we know, KU's going to be a favorite again. So they are the one expected to make the national title game. We'll see if they play like it on Saturday. Yeah, were you surprised at all seeing the Vegas line around three and a half, four points? I know in Ken Palm it's one, but that doesn't uh, take into account the Justin Moore injury. Is that surprising at all? Is that about kind of what you figured? That seems about right to me. Um, so I, I brought up this example a lot lately, but I was really surprised back in 2014. I contacted some Vegas odds makers when Joel Embiid was hurt, and I said, hey, how much does this affect Kansas? You know, five points, eight points, ten points. And I was sort of shocked because they said, hey, a point or two maybe sort of thing. I was like, really, Joel Embiid being out? And that's only a point or two? I figured it would be much more. And what they were talking about at the time was, look, when you have a team like Kansas, Joel Embiid is a great player but there are great players behind him. There's players to replace him with that are going to maybe give him, give you, you know, 75, 80% of the production. And when you have a team like Kansas and other guys can step up, that might not be as big of an issue. Now, again, Kansas lost that game to Stanford. So 
uh, potentially maybe it was worth more than that one or two points. But I think this is a different scenario for Villanova because if you look at them, you talk about the players behind Justin Moore, there aren't as many options that Jay Wright is comfortable with. And they rank somewhere in the 320s when it comes to the bench minutes percentage this year. So sort of like the Creighton game when Ryan Cockrum went down for Creighton and Coach McDermott sort of had to scramble to figure out what he wanted to do because he wasn't very comfortable with options on his bench. That's sort of where Jay Wright is with Villanova. And so the two or three point difference makes some sense. You know, you talk about the Ken Palm line at one and the real Vegas line being at four. I think the Justin Moore thing does hurt him about three points. And it's once again, Kansas getting fortunate, a nice break at the right time. Um, but yeah, we'll see how Villanova functions. At least for them, they have a few days to think about this, scheme this, figure out who they want to go with and potentially what matchups they want to try to exploit. But um, I, I do think that line's about in the right spot, just based off of that. And you look at some of the rankings out there, like EvanMia.com. I know uh, the Justin Moore injury moved Villanova from sixth to twelfth in his rankings. So uh, that's kind of what you're looking at here. You're looking at instead of Kansas going against a team that's very similar to them, Kansas going against a team that's probably just outside the top ten, and they should be not a huge favorite against, but a comfortable favorite against. So that. Uh, the Jacks should be, you know, 65, 70% to make the national championship game, which is sort of crazy to talk about given where they were three weeks ago. Um, they, with the, the, the kid that went down with Creighton, Kansas had come into that weekend scouting Creighton if they potentially played him at full strength. And so as much as Creighton had to scramble to find a replacement over the course of just a day, Kansas didn't have much time to prepare what their new style might have been. So it, there's no question Villanova has – it's better that they have. Uh, it's better for them that they have time to prep um, with with that with this injured player. Is there something to be said that KU might have? Uh, it might be more advantageous for them that they also have more time to prep what might be a potentially new Villanova style than when the uh, kid from Creighton went down. Maybe you know. I think you could argue this both ways. You could say, "Hey, Kansas has more time to kind of brainstorm about what Villanova might do and, and look up that personnel that usually hasn't played early in the season when when the Wildcats have been at full strength." But the other part of this is, I think the kind of scary part for Kansas against Creighton was the unknown. Like, what was uh, Coach McDermott going to do in that game? Were they going to go super small? Were they going to play big? How would you play without that rim protector in the back? And as we saw, Creighton decided to go small. I think. You guys can correct me on the stat. Didn't Creighton go 0 for 18 on his first 18 threes against San Diego State? And then McDermott decided to go small against Kansas and fire up threes, and they started off 8 for 11 in the next game. So, <laughs> again, strategies can be only as good as your team shooting the basketball into the basket because um, he would have looked like a complete fool if Creighton had continued to shoot the way they did just in their previous game uh, two days earlier against San Diego State. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you could probably argue this both ways. Kansas will definitely have a good scout on those guys who might come in. They probably have a pretty good idea of, of how Villanova might want to play, but at the same time, Jay Wright can scheme himself and, and think about the ways that he might want to try to exploit Kansas and figure out ways to, to make it so it's difficult on the Jayhawks. And I think part of this is just even the, the bigger picture of how Jay Wright teams make it difficult on Bill Self Jayhawks. And a lot like 2018, uh, what does Villanova do? You know, they come to jump stops in the lane, they post their guards, and they shoot threes from their bigs. And uh, they pull those big men out away from the basket. And just like 2018, Kansas has a starting big man, a starting five, who is not comfortable away from the rim. And so I think Bill Self will be quicker on the trigger this time to potentially change that matchup if he needs to. But in the same moment, it's, it's the mismatch on both sides. I mean, Villanova cannot afford any fouls or any foul trouble. And the person who could give that to them the quickest is Dave McCormick. 
So do you leave David in? Do you take him out? Uh, how many threes can Villanova make? Do you stick with it if they miss a few early? Uh, that's kind of the cat and mouse game that will happen with this matchup, and that's why these sorts of games when it's Jay Wright versus Bill Self are sort of intriguing in the moment because they both are kind of sort of react to each other and, and do these very advanced things on the fly in the moment. Yeah, that, that's one of the two things that I'm most intrigued by how Kansas, at least from how Kansas defends Villanova. It's another question of how Villanova defends Kansas, but um, it's how KU goes against their bigs. If it's, you know, Jermaine Samuels playing the five, I think we saw kind of a similar um, type of, of player build that would be when Baylor was playing Jeremy Sohan at the five, and that's kind of what Samuels would do, be kind of in that five spot and as an athletic player who can dribble and that didn't really go well for the Kansas defense that game. And then if it is more of a stretch five, I think Eric Dixon is uh, like 40-something percent, 50% from three, but it's very limited attempts. Samuel can also take them if he's in at the five. We've seen that go poorly for KU with, with Tanner Grove, so that's of interest. I also think you know Villanova backs down and, and posts up their guards a lot. I, I don't think that the small guards of KU has been an issue in each and every game. But, like, you look at the Texas Tech game, and uh, maybe some of those games, some of their bigger guards or wings were able to get switched on to one of KU's little guards and just kind of bury them in the post. So those two things are of of supreme interest to me of how Kansas kind of counteracts that. Um, I guess, what is it that that you find most concerning for KU about Villanova? Is it one of those things? Is it something else? Well, yeah, I mean... You're right on with some of these points. The, the only thing that when we can get so deep in these matches and say this is bad for Kansas, but you also have to flip it around, too, with Villanova and say they're looking at Kansas and saying the same mismatches on the other end. You know what I mean? They're looking at David McCormick and saying, oh, boy, like if that guy gets going and draws four or five fouls and gets them in foul trouble, that's real bad. And then the rebounding he potentially could do and the damage he could do on that end, uh, especially on the offensive glass, that's real bad. And uh, you talked about posting up KU's little guards, yeah, that's been a, a real struggle for guys like DeWan Harris and Remy Martin because they are small guards. And so teams that have had um, an ability to back them down, I mean, I'm looking right now, uh, when Remy Martin's gotten posted up 1.3 points per possession via synergy uh, mm. for opponents against him, DeWan Harris 1.05, that's in the 17th percentile nationally. Again, small sample, but it's something that potentially can be exploited. However, again, you flip that matchup around and you say, okay, if you're Villanova, you're saying, Okay, maybe you can back down um, Remy Martin, but do you want Kong Gillespie to guard Remy Martin? Like, is that an ideal matchup on the other end? Is that something you're looking forward to and licking your licking your chops about? Probably not, too. So, uh, I guess it's a long-winded answer here. But the the biggest thing for for Kansas, um, you know, in addition to just Dave being pulled outside and, and you know potentially Kansas panicking a little bit or, or trying to switch things up and go to guys that haven't been comfortable throughout the course of the year, I, I just think. One of Bill Self, and I can tell you this from being behind Katie's bench for the last game against Miami, one of Bill Self's biggest frustrations for his team against Miami was fighting on up fakes. Uh, not staying on the ground, not staying sound defensively, and, and that really changed probably the very last play of the first half when K.J. Adams had a phenomenal defensive possession. But that, that's what Villanova does, and they are on track to set a new NCAA record for free throw percentage in the season. They're at 83% right now, and that number should not dip from here on out. So, yeah, I mean, if you're Kansas, that's the sort of thing. You get in the lane, they come to a jump stop. If you do not um, just stay disciplined there, and if Villanova gets to the free throw line and, and they get to where they want to in that particular setting, 
uh, it's going to be trouble all day because if they're at the line, that's how Villanova's winning, and they're going to try to limit possessions and make you uncomfortable, and that's really what the Jay Wright teams do best when they're they're really on. So I would say look for those things for Kansas. That's going to be a, a major, major emphasis all week, I can tell you from Bill Self, getting his guys to stay down on those pump fakes because you could not put the Wildcats at the free throw line. All right, more likely to play five minutes. Zach Clements or K.J. Adams? Uh, <laughs> I mean, the real answer is probably neither, but, you know, if you had to pick one. Yeah, uh, yeah I get, it, just, it really just depends, right? Um, I would probably say K.J. Adams just because Bill Self has found a role from him for him lately. Um, that makes more sense, which would be if Villanova plays super small and Kansas needs to play better defensively and just guard their man, that could be a KJ Adams matchup. Now, again, I would caution against too much of that because if you're, if I'm, if I'm sitting across the table from Jay Wright and he could tell you, Hey, I'm going to put this matchup out there. And you told him, well, Bill Self is going to counter with KJ Adams. Jay Wright goes, great. <laughs> Sign me up. You know what I mean? Like, like, if Kansas is going away from its primary players this season in the NCAA tournament, that's, that's not a position Kansas wants to be in. Ideally, they want to play those top seven guys that they played most of the season and then get to an eighth with Joseph Yesu if, if that potentially happens. So I would say K.J. Adams just because we've seen Bill Self go to him in certain moments in the NCAA tournament, and you could see if K.J. just given up too many easy buckets or fouling too often, you know, Bill Self could make a – Defensive move quicker than you make an offensive move. So, yeah, I'll stick with that one. Uh, could I see a Zach Clemens helping out in pick-and-pop scenarios and defending? I like he did against Oklahoma. I could see it. It just he hasn't played in so long, significant minutes, that it's kind of hard to envision at this point. That you stick a guy in there at the Final Four and have him do that. Having said that, that would sort of be the Cole Aldrich narrative, wouldn't it? So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Anything can happen in these games. And Bill Self has that weapon and that break glass in case of emergency guy if he needs him. And, like I said, he went to uh, Cole Aldridge when he needed him. Maybe that could be Zach Clemens, too. All right, so if Kansas does find a way to get by Villanova and they're playing in the title game on Monday, whether it's Duke or North Carolina, how do you kind of view them matching up against either of those teams? Well, obviously, uh, if Kansas fans are watching the game after instead of partying on Mass Street, they're just in terms of winning the national championship, you're going to be cheering for North Carolina because over the course of the season, they have been shown to be um, not as good of a team as Duke is. You know, Kansas Duke would probably be Kansas a one or a two point favorite. Uh, Kansas Carolina, you know, the Jeffs could be four or five point favorites, six point favorites, somewhere in that range, which would be a, a major deal. You know, like I give you some wiggle room. You don't have to play well for 40 minutes. You don't have to be on the very top of your game. You can be down at halftime and still feel like, you know, kind of like the Miami game where you can come back in that sort of game. So, um, yeah, for Duke, you know, they've had struggled defensively. Throughout the course of the season, they'll throw in some zones, kind of like 2018 when they uh, that team zoned way more than this year's team, but they'll throw it in there if they need something. But they're a position defensive team. They don't foul a lot, but offensively they're really tough. And Paulo's had a great year, and uh, they don't turn it over. You know, they get shots inside, and Paulo's range extends out to the three-point line as well. So um, that's kind of what you're looking at with, with Duke is an elite, elite offense, maybe the best offense in the nation. Them and Gonzaga probably put them in the same boat, but defensively there's some struggles, and KU potentially could have um, some wiggle room with that. Carolina, uh, you know, this is sort of a, a, a little bit of a mini-Roy team. They play differently than Roy because they don't just completely crash and sell out for the offensive glass, but 
they're great on the defensive glass. They don't foul often. They play position defense like Duke. So uh, some similarities there. But uh, like I said, uh, Carolina playing a little bit different under Hubert Davis. They don't turn it over. Um, they, they make some threes. And they just overall are not as good of a team as Duke is. I mean, that's, that's just the bottom line with it. You know, you can have some success from them. I guess them from three-point range, and they just do not create any turnovers. So KU potentially would only have five or six giveaways in that, in that game, even if it would be up-tempo, as you'd expect. So that's what you're looking at in that potential either matchup against Duke or North Carolina. But bigger picture, I mean, man, how great would that be, you know, Kansas-Duke or Kansas-North Carolina to win the national championship. I mean, that would be a fun one regardless. So uh, this will be must see TV for those college basketball fans out there. This is a Blue Blood Final Four, and – uh, it'll be must-see viewing just because of who they are and what teams are there, and especially the coaches that have, are going to make their way to New Orleans. All right, I don't have a kiss-marry-kill for you with teams, but I do have a kiss-marry-kill beignets, gumbo, and oysters, all New Orleans staple foods. Uh, so I will, uh, I'll marry gumbo. Um, the only problem for me is, you know, I'm troubled with a little bit of spice, but I'm able to find gumbo usually that doesn't completely kill me, so... Uh, that's good. I will, uh, I'll actually kill oysters. I only had them twice. Uh, they're, just, they're okay. A little slippery. You mostly are just kind of slurping them and trying to not, <laughs> try to not taste them unless there's a bunch of cheese on them. And beignets, I almost know nothing about them, but I'll kiss them because I'm probably going to be kissing them sometime this weekend. So, uh, we'll see where that takes me. There you go. All right. Well, Jesse, before we let you go, as always, one last thing with Adam. All right. Jesse, one last thing. Shout out to Providence fans. What do you have to say to them? <laughs> I have uh, nothing to say to Providence fans other than I hope that in the future, if they do tweet me, they have gone to Mass that day and done the uh, church practices that good Catholics will do, because uh, some of the things that were sent to me were not very nice. So uh, <laughs> what would Jesus do? Think about the Pope. Um, you know, it's only one AP poll voter out of 61. So uh, hopefully they can think about all those things before they click send on the next tweet. Well, he is Jesse Newell, and uh, Auburn and Providence not in the Final Four. Jesse Newell is going down to the Final Four. You can follow along with his coverage, KansasCity.com, and in the Kansas City Star. Just had an awesome piece on Jalen Wilson and his feedback you heard from the NBA. There's some other good stuff in the KC Star as well uh, about Bill Self, his dad, and everything. Jesse, appreciate the time as always, man. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. That was Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to have our KU Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern with Joel Clement of the KU Jiu-Jitsu Club in about 25 minutes from right now. Greg Gurley is going to join us at the top of the five o'clock hour to talk some more KU basketball. But right now, four o'clock on a Wednesday, it's time to go around the world with Adam. All right. We're not going far for this first stop. We're actually just going down to Wichita. Mm. Hop on 59 Highway, get down to I-35, and take a right. You sound there. like a Californian. Uh, yeah, Wichita. Not far from the capital, Topica. Um, anyway, so Wichita, Kansas. I just meant explaining all the roads. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, 
Wichita, Kansas. Going, uh, this is from the Associated Press. One of two flamingos that escaped from a Kansas zoo during a storm has been saw- spotted off the coast of Texas, wildlife officials say. Derek, what year do you think this flamingo escaped from the zoo? Uh, I don't know. Recently? Within the last year? It would be recent in a cosmic sense. Okay. That's right. That's next time my wife's like, hey, when's the last time you folded the laundry? Well, recently, I mean, recently in a very in a, in a yeah. cosmic sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 10 years? 17 years ago. Holy cow. Do they even live that long? This one so. does. Yeah. yeah this, clearly this one did. The Coastal Fisheries Division of Texas Parks and Wildlife confirmed Tuesday to the Associated Press that the African flamingo, known as number 492 because of the number on its leg, uh, on its leg band, was captured on video shot March 10th by an environmental scientist near Port La- uh, Lavaca, Lavaca, Texas, at Rhodes Point in Cox Bay. Officials were able to make out the bird's leg band on the video. The bird and another flamingo escaped from the Sedgwick County Zoo in Wichita on a stormy night in June 2005. Employees had not yet clipped the bird's wings to prevent them from flying, mm. so they said, We're out of here! <laughs> Which facilitated their escape. While the other flamingo was never seen again, number 492 has been spotted several times. He's gone, listen to all these places he's been in Louisiana, he's been in Texas, he's even been in Wisconsin. Sometimes with other wild flamingos. Officials says it had been a year or two since the bird was last seen in Texas. Zoo officials have never made plans to recapture number 492 despite the sighting, saying there is no easy way to do so without disturbing other wildlife. The escaped flamingos, known for their distinctive pink feathers and long legs and necks, were born in Africa, then shipped to the Kansas Zoo in 2004 with 39 other flamingos. Good for you, man. Yeah, good for him. I guess I was looking up. It's, you know, anywhere, I don't know, depending where you look, 20 to 50 years. So okay. I didn't realize they lived that long. Good for them. Um, yeah, he was he was the great escape. He was, uh, oh, gosh. D.B. Uh, Cooper. So well, what's in Shawshank Redemption? What's the main character? Oh, Andy Tim, Dufresne. Yeah, Andy Dufresne. Andy Dufresne. Tim Dufresne. Robbins, right? Yeah, except um, he flew away. He didn't, you know, crawl out the poop, right, right. The, uh, you know, the poop pipe. Yeah, but it's it you know it's the animal version of that. Good for him. Yeah, Do you think he had like a Morgan Freeman friend, and they met. They they tried to meet somewhere. And, it's entirely in Z wants to Mm-hmm. Uh, it's entirely both, possible. They tried to meet on a beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's entirely possible. Good for you, number four ninety two. Keep flying free. Uh, we're moving on to Marquette, Michigan. This also from the Associated Press. An Upper Peninsula. You know, if you're in, it, those in the know, call that the UP. Mm-hmm. UP, the Upper Peninsula. And if you live there, you know what they're called? Mm. Youpers. Oh, I thought you were going to do the kids joke. Spell I-cop. Oh, no, no, no. Grow up, Derek. <laughs> They're the Youpers in the Upper Peninsula. A city is closing a portion of its road to vehicular traffic every night. Uh, why are they doing this? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's a migrating animal of some sort. Mm. What's crossing the road a whole bunch each night? Honestly, I don't think I could tell you what animals all migrate. Do deer migrate? Are you suggesting coconuts migrate? Well, that's not an animal. No, but that's a good line. Uh, oh, that's, I don't know. No idea. Salamanders. Turtles. Yeah, see, I would have no idea that salamanders migrate. The city of Marquette is closing a portion of the Peter White Drive in Presque Isle Park from 8 p.m. till 8 a.m. daily until April 15th, tax day. Wonder if that's why the salamanders are migrating, because like all their accountants, <laughs> yeah. all their accountants are in one spot, or they're 
you or know, tax evaders. To, yeah, that yeah. could be. Maybe they're, yeah. You could be right. Flee the house. Or until the migration is completed, the city announced, the closures began on Monday. Road barricades will be placed and removed daily to prevent vehicular traffic. This is very nice of all of them, by the way. Uh, in the migration area, only foot track of traffic is permitted in the area. You know, I couldn't even tell you what a uh, what a salamander looks like, but according to this, they are spotted blue spots. Protecting the blue-spotted salamander's migration is vital as they are an indicator species informing us about the health of our environment, said Kathleen Henry, a special projects coordinator and education specialist for the Superior Watershed Partnership. She said that to the Mining Journal in an email. In 2008, former Northern, Northern Michigan University student Eli Bieri, uh, perhaps that's Beery, noticed vehicles were killing hundreds of migrating salamanders. Poor guys. Mm. You know, usually you migrate for mating purposes, so <laughs> they're all randy little bastards and they're getting run over by cars. And um, so, uh, yeah. So, um, Beery was instrumental in getting the city to close part of Peter White Drive during the migration season. Interesting. So, yeah, the salamanders. That's not very nice of the, uh, very nice of the, of the people to do that, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, very. Um, help out nature anymore. in any way that you possibly can. They may be evading taxes, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, March 29th, this is from the UPI. Police in Texas said officers responded to a call about the discovery of skeletal remains near a road and arrived to find uh, what? Those skeletal remains? Yeah. I don't know. A skeleton of a woolly mammoth. Uh, Tie well, it back that, together. Yeah, that could be. That's, that would have been three weeks in a row. No, a plastic prop skeleton. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Converse Police Department said an investigation was launched when police received a report of skeletal remains discovered near Farm to Market, 1516, and Ben's Engelman Road. Those are weird road names. Upon arrival, they discovered a plastic prop skeleton discarded in a field, the department said in a Facebook post. You know what I like to imagine is going on here? Hmm. Some people were just walking along in a very dramatic... <gasps> <laughs> Like Mark the lady Evans. fainted. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, uh, what would you do? Yeah. Let me tell you this story. So, uh, we, some friends of mine and I, I had to do, I was a senior in high school. They were juniors, but I helped them out on this project where they, they somehow tied whatever they were learning about an English class to um, CSI. And did you ever watch the CSI shows? No, but, you know, I, I think I get the general gist. Yeah. So I was, I drove the coroner's vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, which was the minivan. I, I drove a minivan. It was my dad. I drove my dad's minivan in, um, in high school. Mm -hmm. The thing was sweet. <laughs> uh, had a TV in the back. It was a great setup. Anyway. So I drove the minivan to be the coroner in their little video. Um, but it started off where they, uh, the first shot was one of the guys was on a jog, and he discovered the body, as tends to be. Bodies are just randomly discovered on those shows. And he had the, the, the least dramatic you will ever hear. He's just jogging, 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 and then, oh, a body. <laughs> Is he the culprit? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, okay, because 
when you say prop skeleton, like this isn't like a you know plastic skeleton or something you yeah, see as like is. a Halloween decoration. Now, according to this, it says a plastic prop skeleton. Oh, it was. Yeah. So this wasn't even like, you know, TV show movie grade prop skeleton. I don't know how good the prop is, but yeah, I mean, maybe- that's a big question to me here. Because if this is if this is like a movie, like if it you had know, googly eyes on it, you right? Were still yeah, and you were still tricked. Exactly. It's one of those <laughs> ones that people like hang up um, for like Halloween decorations or something. I like how would you not know that is real? I, I I would hope that it's one of those props where it's very real looking, and then at that point, is somebody playing a prank? Was it a cartoon skeleton that uses itself as like it uses its rib cage as a xylophone? Mm, yeah. Is from Coco or something? Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the uh, the post said the quote remains were quote removed and given a proper burial. Let's all work together and discard our trash properly to keep Converse clean. This was a joke, right? Like somebody had. I think so. They knew what they were doing. Like I'm yeah. not saying the whole post is a joke, but I'm saying somebody planted those things. Like, haha, this will be funny. Yeah, I mean, unless again, if it is one of those just cheesy decorations, then they probably it probably just got lost there somehow. Um, and there's no way somebody would have thought somebody would have bought it. But yeah, if it, if it's real looking, then yes, I think somebody probably put it there as a joke. The only you know, issue with that is you probably don't get to see your joke come through. You're just imagining it there. But I guess in this case, you did because now it's a, a national news story. You know, every couple of years, you can you can bank on somebody uh, getting caught on like a ring cam video because around Christmas time, somebody has decorated. There, there are multiple videos like this on YouTube where somebody decorates their home and, and among their Christmas decorations, they include a, a Clark Griswold sort mm-hmm. of set up where they set up a mannequin dressed like Clark Griswold kind of hanging from the, you know, like in the movie, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. in the movie uh, Armageddon. Um, and so the, uh, this, but you can always bank on somebody not having ever seen Christmas Vacation, of course, and they come up and they actually think somebody is hanging from the, they're like, oh my gosh, sir, I'm getting the ladder for you. I'm getting the ladder. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? You can basically bank on that. So I guess if they can be tricked by that, they can be tricked uh, by a plastic skeleton. Next, uh, this also from the UPI. This We're going to Illinois. We're all United States today, by the way. I just realized. Wow, so around Wichita, the country. Wichita, Texas. Um, we did mention Wisconsin and Louisiana. Um, and, uh, and now uh, Illinois. An Illinois woman keeps getting something. I'll tell you, it's nothing... Um, Nothing lewd or nothing gross, but she gets something. Keeps getting something that she doesn't order, hasn't ordered in the shoes. Or in, I just gave it away. It's shoes. <laughs> I was gonna say, what's she getting in the mail? Ah, <laughs> uh, shoes. Oh, good job, Derek. How did you know? Uh, what she is calling? She's gotten. Like, uh, how about this? I'll give you. How many has she got? How many times has this mistake been made? This makes me think somebody's ordering them and sending to her on purpose. Because it's happened, uh, I'll tell you, more than twice. I Yeah, this has to be a joke, right? But that is such a weird thing to order someone because that actually, like... This costs you money. Yeah, so, like, I have... I feel terrible about this. Um, By the way, 15 pairs I, I was of what maybe she's like, calling really tacky shoes. I was maybe, like, 15 or 16. Me and a couple friends were, like, hanging out. And we tried to get this one friend to come hang out with us. And he just, like, made up all these excuses why he couldn't. So we drove to his house and saw him, like, 
playing video games or something in the window. And we're like, okay, he's clearly just lying to us. So we we ordered a pizza to his house. And, you know, that that was something where this pizza place that we ordered from wasn't one that you had to, like, pay before. Like, you paid there. We said we'd give you cash at the door. Oh, yeah. And so that was, that was something where we got him in trouble with his dad and stuff. And that was, you know, I feel bad about it now. But at the time, we were cracking up, dying about it. And we're just like... You know, sitting in the car watching this whole, whole, whole ordeal go down. And looking back, it's, it's mean to the pizza guy, if oh, anything. Yeah. Like, it's not yeah, mean to the family. he's losing his Right, tip. exactly. And they ended up paying him and stuff. So it worked out and everything. Um, but that, again, like that prank works because you can order a pizza delivery and say, I'll pay cash. Yeah. You can't do that with shoes. So if this no, is they've a prank, already been, somebody. They, yeah, no, they've already been paid for. Yeah, somebody um, is like, this is the most elaborate paid-for prank of all time. I'm not going to pr- try to pronounce this last name, but this woman's first name is Simone. She lives in Oak Park, Illinois. Said the shoes starting being delivered to her home by UPS about a year ago, and between 15 and 20 pairs have since arrived. <laughs> She's gotten 15 to 20 pairs of shoes. Uh, they're really funny, she told WLS-TV, and they're really, really, really tacky. She said she returned one box of shoes to a UPS store. I guess they're all coming by a UPS. I explained the whole thing to her, and she understood it, and so she took them back, and then like four days later, they came back in the mail. Uh, she said in a Facebook post that she determined after January uh, that the shoes were apparently supposed to have been returned to Amazon. UPS officials said the shoes are supposed to be returned to an Amazon vendor out of China, and the vendor's return label bears the words... Uh, Simone and the and her address. Uh, the address is not a return center, so there's no place to return them to. So every time they get cycled back into the system, they just keep coming back to her. So this I got, is a fault in the system somewhere. Seems like it. I got a. Um, but why are they all funny shoes? That makes me think it's a prank. I now the, the more I read on, the more I think the, the more the, the more I read on, the more I think they're the same. They're the same shoes. Oh, so she just yeah, can't yeah, get yeah, rid of yeah, 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 um, yeah. And Amazon, I'll say this: I once ordered something. Just keep them. I once ordered something uh, from Amazon and got a, um, along with it, uh, I I got uh, something that I didn't expect to come in pieces. But I got two boxes. One box was very, very light, and the other box was very, very heavy and sounded like it had a million pieces in it. And I thought, well, that's odd. Um, and so I opened, and the first box was the thing that I'd ordered, and the second box was a big old bag of dog food, <laughs> which I had not ordered. I had a friend explain it to me. Apparently, some like in order to get reviews, companies will have people order things and then send them to actual real addresses um, so then they can review the product as a verified no customer. Because they gave a real address, and then they'll just wind up at a person's house. We ultimately, wow. I contacted Amazon, and they said, well, did you get the thing that you ordered? I said, yeah. And they said, well, just go ahead. And she didn't yeah, seem, keep it. The, the person I spoke with didn't seem surprised at all. She said, just go ahead and keep the, and so ultimately what we did. Did you have a dog? Uh, I know you have a dog now. Yeah, did we did at the time. time. I, I don't know. Uh, ultimately, I don't know how the decision came about. I don't know if it was because we didn't know. I don't know. For whatever reason, we didn't wind up using the dog food for my dog. Ultimately, what we did is we donated it to a local nice. pet shelter. Yeah, um, I mean, just, just so it got, it got used them. out of it. So I get what it seems like to me is 
is it's only one pair of shoes. She goes to try to return them, but the return center is also the same as the shipping address is what it seems like to me. So she's gotten for 15 to 20 times, she's gotten the the same pair of what she calls tacky shoes. Also, what if somebody like bought them? What if like a friend or family member bought them for her? As like a surprise, and she's calling them tacky. And yeah. I can't believe they keep getting they delivered, and now they're crying. Oh, that'd be so mean. Oh, this I, I still think this would be a funny prank, though. Um, if, you got, if you got the money, it would be hilarious. Yeah, it would. But it's just like, that is so invested, but that, that just makes me respect it more. If somebody was uh, indeed pranking someone, and that was the case. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. That is Around the World with Adam. Coming up next are KU Club interviews. Joel Clement of the KU Jiu-Jitsu Club is going to join us next on the other side. Brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. This is RCST. Welcome back to our KU Club interviews. Brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. Where you can get a great bite to eat. Just hang out with some friends. Whether you're going to watch a KU game or just going in general. You have a great time at Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. Our latest club interview is with Joel Clement who is... A sophomore at KU, he's part of the Jiu-Jitsu Club. Um, I, I guess the first thing first is, is the Jiu-Jitsu Club for you guys, is it something where it's just kind of a, a way for you guys to kind of practice Jiu-Jitsu and, and teach each other things, or is it something where you're going around and, and doing competitions and stuff? So right now, it's more of like a recreational thing where we're kind of just practicing Jiu-Jitsu and teaching each other various things, but my goal is to eventually get our team ready to start going to tournaments again. Because so one of the things is, like, our club used to exist before the pandemic, and then, like, when COVID happened, it all got messed up and got shut down. And so I've actually been taking the initiative to bring it back. And so that's something we're still working on. But as far as I know, before COVID, they were going to tournaments pretty regularly. And uh, obviously, like you said, that, that must have been – it's so hard to kind of restart everything back up. Um, is this something that uh, is it just kind of an ongoing thing? You can join whenever you want. You can join um, whenever you kind of want to go out there. Or is there seasons to this and entry time? Yeah, so you can join uh, pretty much anytime you want. I mean, it's obviously it's probably better to join at the beginning, so you're getting all the techniques and you're learning all of them. But you can join anytime you want. There's not really a season to it. Like people will practice jujitsu year round. And so your role of the club is, is essentially like the president or the uh, kind of the, the head of the club? Yeah, I'm the president, and I'll usually coach uh, for the practices as well. And how long have you been at the club? You said you're a sophomore. Did you start doing this when you first came to KU, or is this something you just kind of more recently got into? So when I first came to KU, they were uh, practicing at a place off campus, and so I kind of joined them there. And we only very recently brought the club back to KU. Actually, last October was when we were finally able to do it. But before I even came to KU, I was already into uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I really liked it. And I thought it was cool to see, like, as I was signing up for KU, that they had a club for it here. I thought that was really neat. And it was very sad when I first came that COVID was messing it all up. And so you said you've been in jiu-jitsu for a while now. Uh, how, how long? How far back does this go in your life? Uh, probably four or five years. And how how much of a, a learning curve is that for somebody who first starts with the club to where they may end up at at the end of, I guess, year one? 
Um, it can definitely be like it's a very different sport and there's very different movements compared to what most people are used to. So I think taking the first step and getting started is the hardest part. But once you've kind of done that, it it all starts to come together and makes a lot more sense. What's the biggest difference between you said it's Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? Uh, what's the biggest difference between that and maybe some other forms of, of martial arts? Uh, so Brazilian jiu-jitsu is uh, primarily focused on, like, grappling moves, so there's not really any striking in it. So stuff that people may be familiar with, like, punching and kicking and stuff, that's not a thing in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's all uh, grabs, uh, submissions, joint locks, chokeholds. And so is, is part of the, I guess, the, the appeal to doing this, is there a self-defense aspect? Is it... You know, people who, who are wrestlers, like what's kind of the, the big appeal for a lot of people like to do this? Yeah, so wrestling actually I would say is like a subset of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So all of the wrestling moves are a part of it. And so wrestlers will have a head start on everyone else. Um, also for self-defense, I guess Jiu-Jitsu is more, more of a sport. Like there's definitely some things in it that you wouldn't want to do in a self-defense situation. But overall, I would say it does help quite a bit. And so if you guys are able to get back into kind of the competition swing, how, how does that work? How are competitions scored, and, and how does that ordeal occur? Yeah, so for scoring, um, there's like – so you can either win by submission or you can win by points. So like submission is if you get the opponent to tap out through like a arm lock or a choke or something like that. And by points, so if no one gets a submission, then uh, you'd get two points for a takedown, three points for a guard pass – uh, four for getting mount position and four for taking back. Can anyone join the club? Is it open males, females, KU students, non-KU yeah, students? Yeah, any any KU students and faculty can join. So yeah, it's open to any, anyone from KU. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess if, you know, what's kind of the ultimate goal for, for you in, in your time at KU and in, in trying to build up this club? Uh, I just want to get have like a very well established uh, jujitsu club here at KU. I think that'd be a really cool thing. Is there a way that the people can support the program um, in some way from from the outside looking in? I haven't really thought of that a lot. I've mostly been focusing on just trying to reach out to students and get more students involved. But that's definitely something I should think about more. I mean, are there costs involved with with being part of the jujitsu program, or is this a little different than you know your hockey or baseball or whatever, where you have to have certain equipment? Right now, um, it's not like required, but we do have like uniforms that you can get. Uh, they can cost a little bit of money, but we don't like require all our members to get them because we have a bunch of extra ones for them to use. And uh, what's typically like? Take me through. You know, when you go, I don't know if it's called a practice or training session or what, but uh, when you show up for that day, what what kind of consists of that day's kind of work and and how often are you guys practicing and and doing all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so we usually call it a practice, um, and it's uh, two hours long. It consists of the first half hour usually. We'll do a little bit of warm-ups, and then I will usually teach a technique or two, usually two. And then after that, we do a lot of uh, live sparring or what they call rolling in jiu-jitsu. So we really focus heavy on that because it's just a good way to reinforce and learn the techniques of it. Well, is, there, is there a favorite move that you have? Ooh, um, 
I really like the uh, Rear Naked Choke is what it's called. That's a really good one. So do a lot of people get into the Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Do, do you guys like watching, like, you know, I don't know, UFC and stuff like that and, and seeing uh, guys who, you know, maybe are wrestlers or, or grapple around or are those kind of very different with, with the, the punching and kicking elements? I think it's slightly different with the punching and kicking, but it's still cool to watch. So whenever I, I have time, I'll definitely try to watch them. Well, Joel, I appreciate you coming in, and uh, yeah, we look forward to, to hearing about the jiu-jitsu club uh, kind of growing over the next couple of years. All right, that is our KU Club interview with the KU Jiu-Jitsu Club. This brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. For Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN and KLWN.com. Greg Gurley, who will be on the call for the Final Four this weekend here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 KISS with the Jayhawk Radio Network, uh, joins us now on the show. Uh, before we get into the basketball stuff, I, you know, I was thinking about it. The, the stops that you guys have made for uh, all the different tournament locations, Fort Worth, you think of Texas barbecue, not Kansas City barbecue, but still good stuff. Uh, Chicago, you have the deep dish pizza and, and all the great eats that you have in Chicago. Now upcoming, going to be in New Orleans, which obviously has all sorts of comfort and delicious food. What's your favorite stop that you will be making or, or have made for uh, just the food aspect? No question, it's New Orleans. I'm looking forward to that. I love Cajun food. I love oysters, gumbo, jambalaya. I- I'm in. So I'm I'm, I'm going to be in, in food heaven this week. Yeah, it's it's uh, pretty good. You got to make sure you hit the, the hotel gym or maybe, you know, it's an off week. Final four week calories don't count. That's for sure. Um, uh, Ochai was in a, a bit of a shooting slump headed into the Elite Eight last week. He ends up going 8 of 12, 18 points in the Elite Eight. Uh, does that one game, does that give you enough confidence that I guess he's, I don't know, fixed, so to speak, headed into the Final Four? I sure hope so. I mean, he, he's the guy that, that we talked about so much in those first three games. You know, te- well, Texas Southern, you kind of throw that one away. That was a blowout. But you look at Creighton and Providence, and he just wasn't the same Ochai. And we all talked about how, hey, we're winning ugly without our star getting rolling. Just think if it clicks, and it didn't click in the first half against Miami. It clicked in the second, and I think you'd much rather have it in the second than the first. Got some confidence, got some momentum. Uh, I think that he's back. Uh, we'll find out on Saturday, but we're, we're such a, a, a much different team when he's rolling because it just opens up lanes for everybody else. Uh, when we hit the three ball, and, and then defensively, what I loved about Oach was – in that Providence game, you know, he wasn't very good, but what did he do? He got steals and blocked shots and impacted the game in a way that, that got us that victory. So I love I love the kind of player he is when he's not playing well, but I like him even more when he's playing well. You know, there's a lot that'll be made about the playing in a football stadium and this happens every year that it's it's a lot tougher to shoot. Now it doesn't Always seemed to impact teams. We we know that from 2018, taking on Villanova and the shooting display they put on. But uh, 
How much does that kind of affect the the backdrop, and, and do you think that matters at all with Ochai this week and, and whoever is going to be kind of shooting the ball for KU? Well, you brought it up, and I, you took the words out of my mouth. I, I'm a big, you know, when I, when I always, people bring that up, media, whatever, about depth perception and all that, and my answer is, so and we had depth perception problems, but Villanova didn't in 2018. I mean, they made more threes than a Final Four ever, and it was in the first half. So I don't quite buy into that because you get to go to the Superdome or wherever you're at and get some practice and get some shots. And I, I just don't buy into that because it's a narrative that we create when we don't shoot well that it's that. But when we do shoot well, it's not a thing. So uh, I don't worry about that a whole lot. I think it's one of those things that you get there enough, open practice, they get a chance to go shoot around. You got people behind you that on the glass backboards that it takes up space. I just, I just don't think it's as big a deal as people make it out to be. Is there a player this week with, I, I know it's always a big stage when you're at Kansas and, and the whole NCAA tournament is a big stage, but we know this is, you know, kind of that next step up. Is there a player that you think is going to kind of feed off, off this energy and this moment, uh, maybe the most for KU? Well, I think the obvious answer is Remy. I mean, he loves the stage, the lights, the, the, the podium. He loves it and he feeds off it. And, and you can just see it when he plays. We didn't see it much this year because it was because of injuries. But now that he's there and he's kind of he, he's let the game come to him as much as he hunts shots, he kind of lets it come to him, which is nice. Uh, and he's been the spark. We wouldn't be where we're at without him. Obviously, the most outstanding player in the Midwest Regional. But the crowd, I think, really gets him going. And sometimes it's a negative because he sometimes gets too much into it and he'll take a bad shot. And you look at Bill and he'll put his hands out like, yeah, here we go again. But then he makes three or four great plays in a row and you have a short memory and you, you forget about the bad one. So you can't let one or two bad plays turn into three or four. Uh, but so far that hadn't happened. And I think, I think Remy is a guy that really does feed off the crowd. I, I feel like Jalen Wilson over these last couple games has kind of been a, a an embodiment of like something that Bill Self says all the time, which is, you know, you didn't play well or you didn't not play well because you did or did not hit shots. You played well because you, you know, rebounded or um, affected the game defensively or found other ways to affect it. And, and Jalen goes just one of eight in the Elite Eight game. Didn't have a great shooting game in the Sweet 16 game either, but he just racks up rebounds. He just grinds his way through. Um, I. I don't know what to think about the the offensive side of it because the the shots haven't been falling and and who knows if that happens this weekend. But it certainly seems like from where we started the year with Jalen Wilson and and I guess Remy Martin and you know at times this year Dave, it, it seems like there have been uh, some big moments from those guys when uh, there have been a lot of questions throughout the regular season so far in, in March and and it seems like Jalen has has impacted things maybe as much as any player. Yeah. I mean, he got a bad rap in that first half against Miami because his guy that he's that toured on him a lot was McGusty. But I actually thought as I watched the tape that he played pretty good defense. McGusty just made shots. And I kind of thought I was not nervous at all in that first half after being down six because it was kind of fool's gold. Long's a 29% three-point shooter made a couple. McGusty was crossing Jalen over and making guarded shots. And then Jalen just stayed after him, got his hand up. It was a team defensive effort. And then when they started missing shots, 
is when Jalen excels. Because he can get the rebound and he can bust it out. He's one of the fastest guys on the team, and he creates for others. Like you said, he's one for eight. And if you just looked at the box score and didn't watch the game, you're like, why is everybody talking about Jalen Wilson? Well, you're talking about him because he impacts the game in other ways. And whether that's rebounding or defense or, you know, he had a great rebound in that Miami game where there was about four orange jerseys around, and he kind of tipped it over to the left and went and got it. He's just a smart player that has the nose for the ball. And you, any great team has to have a Jalen Wilson, kind of that glue guy. Jalen wants to be a superstar, and he just isn't. That's not a negative. He, he fits a perfect role for this team that does the dirty work. And, again, he might not wow you with his shooting or his efficiencies, but you want him on the floor because he makes big winning plays. You know, anytime Kansas makes a Final Four, there's clearly going to be expectations there of, well, why can't you win the title? And, and that's just the expectation that it comes with. But um, does it feel different, this Final Four, than 2018, whereas 2018 it – you know, I, I know Mitch Lightfoot referenced this a little bit in, in the presser yesterday, the idea that, you know, maybe it was just a little happier to be there. You just got through Duke, who a lot of people were expecting you to lose to. And the fact that you made it with that team through all the tribes and tribulations that maybe they had over the course of the season, uh, there was a little bit more of that, whereas this year's team, I don't, I don't know if it has more to do with, you know, you just beat a 10 seed like you're expected to do in the Elite Eight, or if it is more of a, hey, we're the last one seed remaining, or... Um, this is just the expectation of this team, and this team's better. But does it feel different like this year's team? Maybe it is more of a, a business trip and that it is more of a, no, we're, we're going to win the title. We're not just content with where we are right now. I totally agree. Uh, you're, you're right in the fact that in 18, Duke was the one seed. Uh, they had four or five pros. Wait, 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 I, I say that. Were they the one seed or were we? I no, they were the we two. Were the under- yeah, we, we were the underdog, and even though I was the one seed. And, I mean, they had Bagley and Carter and, and, and uh, Trent and Duvall. They had pros. And not that we didn't, but not to their level. And everyone expected that. I thought Bill Self out coached Coach K. I thought we, they, they, they couldn't guard us. And so they went to a kind of a weak zone, and Malik tore them up. But you're right in the fact that it was kind of like – all right, we made the Final Four, and that's that's the end of it. You know, Villanova's this mighty, mighty Villanova, and they showed that they were. I think this year we're the favorite, and we're supposed to win. We're the only one seed left, and it's, uh, yes, I think it's a much different thing, more of a business trip. I'm not saying that it was a vacation in 2018, but the way it turned out, it kind of felt like one because Villanova absolutely throttled us. So, Leave a little bit, hope that sticks in your crawl a little bit, and you, and you go out totally different Villanova team. But one uh, something we got to remember because three years prior, they ended our year the Elite Eight when we were the better team as well. So two of our losses in the last six years have been to Villanova. Yeah, I don't think that 2016 one gets talked about enough. I, I legitimately thought that team was the best team in the country. They were clicking. The defense was good, and you barely lose in that game, and that kind of tough Devontae Graham foul at the end of the game that fouls him out when they're down two on the loose ball. Um, so yep, what do you think yep. this go-around with Villanova, what do you think the toughest part of this matchup is going to be for KU? Well, let's talk about mental stuff here. They don't have many guys. This is very similar to the Creighton game. They lose a guy. 
in the final minutes of their last game. He's one of their best players. Kyle Quinter gets lost for Creighton, makes them an entirely different team. Justin Moore gets lost in the final minute in their Elite Eight game, makes them an entirely different team and really shortens their bench, which was already short to begin with. So we have to stay focused and understand that and they still, they're going to put five guys out on the floor, and those five guys are going to probably play 38 minutes, and they're really good. Now, can we change things? Can we get them in foul trouble? Can we get out in transition and wear them out? Yes, and that's the mentality that we have to take um, you look at their box score uh, the other night for Villanova, they played seven guys. One of those seven was Archie Diacono's little brother who played <laughs> two minutes. And the other one was Justin Moore who played 37. So you're talking about five guys now. That, that's a very one, – one guy on the bench, but that one guy on the bench played two minutes. So we got to understand that we can't look past them Jay Wright's one of the best coaches and probably the best tournament coach still in the in the Final Four because when he goes to a Final Four, he wins it, and we need to stop that. KU certainly has a uh, notion for making Final Fours with uh, you know kind of loaded fields. You have the All One seeds in 2008, 2012. Um, I mean, Ohio State giant athletic program, Kentucky, obviously Blue Blood, Louisville is. You know, maybe they're that kind of next tier next to Blue Blood, huge athletic program. Um, now this year, you have all these Blue Bloods in here. I, I guess this is more off topic with basketball, but just in terms of how, how crazy things have been around the athletic department, the Williams Fund, everything, uh, getting organized this week. How, how fun and, and crazy of a week has this been for you? Well, you, you should ask my wife. Uh, she sees me on the phone. I mean, my phone rings about every 30 seconds, and it is, it's, it's fun, though. Like you said, it's a crazy, chaotic time, but it's, it's way better than sitting around catching up on Ozarks or something right now. So um, it, it's fun, and it's, it's a busy fun. Um, tickets, hotels, flights, where are you going to be? What's the bar? Where are we doing a talk show? I mean, again, I, I can't complain at all because i love it um it's my, my it's gonna be my fourth final four in new orleans that i've you know participated in one and worked in a couple and now this one so uh i'm looking forward to it i love new orleans i love the i love the chaos i love our fan base i mean we we you get allocated a certain number of tickets it's roughly four thousand and we've got about you know five or six thousand requests so our fan base is going to have to be resourceful because when you've got three other blue bloods there, guess what? They travel well too. So we got to show up and show up big when we get down there, and and uh, our team feeds off that. It's hard. It's hard though in a dome because there's just you know sixty five thousand people or whatever it is, and you got maybe ten, eleven, twelve percent of the crowd, uh, and you just can't make that big of a difference. But we need to. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. Uh, 1993, you guys fall in the Final Four in New Orleans to North Carolina. Um, and, I mean, that, that'd be pretty full circle if, you know, North Carolina were to upend Duke, Kansas were to make the title game, and you get to call the action with, with KU winning a title against the Tar Heels. 
Yeah, you know what? I'm sure the national media would be all over that and and want to interview <laughs> me because I'm such a because I'm such a major player in the world of college athletics. Like, it might be it might be like something that my family notices and you, but uh, other than that, I I love it. I would I would if that happens, I'd be the happiest guy around. All right, well, I'll get the PR campaign started for that. Greg, I appreciate your time and uh, don't eat too many beignets, beignets this weekend. Well, I can't promise you that, but we're going to have fun and let's uh, let's get some on the books for next week to talk about a national title. There we go. Well, Greg, appreciate it and have a good rest of your day. All right, thanks. All right, that's Greg Gurley. He is the KU color analyst for the Jayhawk Radio Network. You can hear him on the call on Saturday, five oh nine tip off, three thirty pregame, starting here on KLWN and our sister station one oh five nine Kiss. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM one oh one seven, thirteen twenty KLWN and KLWN.com. Depend on it.